This is Richard DeBoer, Executive Vice President, uh, Sales and Marketing at Carter Logistics. Welcome to Carter Logistics podcast today. Today, we're going to be covering the insurance marketplace, and specifically, we're going to be going through the trucking insurance marketplace and all the nuclear verdicts that are going on and its effect on insurance rates. We're going to talk a little bit about what carriers can do to mitigate their costs. Uh, the third segment is how do, how do the nuclear verdicts are going to affect the shipper community? Uh, and then we're going to get a little bit into the Mexico uh, marketplace and liability down in the Mexico marketplace. And finally, we're going to talk about autonomous vehicles. With me today, I've got Doug Warnke, who's the Corporate Director of Risk Management at Carter Express. Welcome, Doug. Thank you. Uh, Doug, could you give us a little bit of background about yourself and uh, being the expert in these areas? Absolutely. Thank you, Richard. Uh, as, as Richard mentioned, I'm the Corporate Director of Risk Management here at Carter. I have been in this position for the last three years. I'm responsible for our insurance program, oversight of claims, compliance, and uh, regulatory issues. Uh, prior to coming to Carter, I spent five years at a global insurance broker and uh, managed a book of clients that ranged from uh, transportation to large manufacturing, uh, municipalities, uh, and, and many others, really. I, I dealt with public uh, and private companies both, so I have a lot of exposure um, to the, the brokerage side of the business, but also now on the buyer side of the business. Okay. Well, let's get into the insurance marketplace. In the last couple of years, I know that there's been several nuclear verdicts out there uh, against trucking companies. Could you kind of get into that a little bit? What, what are we seeing in the marketplace today as far as the verdicts against trucking companies? Absolutely. So the nuclear verdicts are what really are uh, uh, allowing the, this market to get harder. And it's almost on a month by month basis. And the nuclear verdicts have been around now for several years. Uh, a lot of you are familiar with the Warner case down in Texas. I believe it was near $90 million verdict. It was one of the first bigger ones that made national news. Um, really, when you read the details on that, it, it's hard to believe a verdict of that size would come out against Werner, but that's just kind of showing you what these juries are thinking. Uh, more recently, there was a case in uh, Arkansas. It was a smaller company, a third-generation trucking company. They broke down the side of the road. Um, they assigned another carrier to take that load for them. Um, that carrier got into a bad accident. Um, the original trucking company got pulled into this suit. It was a $23 million verdict. Um, after several appeals, they ended up having to go bankrupt because um, uh, their limits were not near to that level. So the verdicts are not just hitting the Warners out there. Um, they're hitting uh, the small and large and anywhere in between. Um, it's become a, a big issue for the industry. The ATA has recently announced that it's a tier one priority to, to look into these nuclear verdicts. So um, it's a big issue. It's impacting everyone in the industry. 
So how are these nuclear verdicts impacting the marketplace? And they're really driving the rate increases that we're seeing on a year-by-year basis. Uh, first uh, primary line, that first million uh, of insurance, actually showing a 12% increase in insurance premiums, uh, 2019 versus 2018. And in reality, I think it's probably much higher than that. Um, that is also taken into consideration. There's a lot of carriers who are taking on more risk raising their deductibles to, to, to limit the uh, rate increases they're seeing. Um, most carriers are seeing in 20 to probably 25% in rate increases, even for some of the better carriers with uh, lower losses. Um, guaranteed cost programs for smaller smaller fleets, they're, they're expecting to be paying eight to $15,000 per unit now. Um, I've heard and seen as high as 20 to 25,000 per unit. Um, for just liability for that first million in liability insurance. So we're really at a point that no one's seen before. Um, umbrella, same story. You're looking at 30% increases year over year. Not only are we seeing increases, but we're seeing capacity leave the market. Um, over the last several years, I'd say there's probably been a loss of about 30% of the available capacity. Uh, when we're seeing these large verdicts 10 years ago, $5 million would have been a large verdict. Um, now that number is not really known. Every 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 year we're seeing bigger verdicts and more often uh, verdicts over 10 million. So that's why a lot of these insurance carriers are getting out of the market because uh, they just can't uh, obtain enough premium to cover this exposure. Thanks, Doug. Uh, as to relevant current times, obviously we're all dealing with the coronavirus right now, and it's going to have a large impact economic impact, especially on drive-in carriers. Uh, refrigerated carriers are moving a lot of food. Uh, those rates will be pretty well stabilized. But what I saw today earlier is that the spot market for drive-ins will go down about 15 cents in 2020. Uh, so how, will, how will the uh, smaller carriers survive the insurance renewal process? Uh, which, what's your expectations on that and what's your forecast on that? Really, there, it's going to probably be a mode of survival for a lot of these carriers, and uh, they're going to have to lower cost in any way they can, uh, especially when you're seeing some of these rates uh, double year over year. So if they were purchasing excess insurance, I, I would imagine a lot of those would be going back to the, the bare minimums of limit and reducing the cost there. Uh, the other way they can reduce their insurance costs is by uh, adding a deductible to their program or increasing their dedu deductible as well. Um, again, that would take collateral and there's some other issues with that. But there's a couple methods there, and I think we've already seen that in the previous couple of years of carriers reducing their limit um, to stay competitive. Uh, and we'll see more of that again this year. Okay. With the stock market uh, falling the way that it has during the last 30 days, uh, what side effects? Uh, of the stock market fall, what will or what will be the effects on the insurance carriers with the stock market falling in the last 30 days? It's a good question. Um, there's a little bit of unknown, unknown and uncertainty with this, but uh, one one way that insurance companies uh, make a profit and increase their revenue is through investment income. So obviously, as we're seeing the stock market um, plummet here recently with the coronavirus. Um, it's not good news for insurance companies who are have a lot of this premium invested and are looking to uh, sometimes become profitable through their investment. So it's really how long will this last? Um, I mean, you know, if it extends itself, then you might see a recession. Um, you might see a longer recovery to get the stock market back to where it was. So 
some of these insurance companies might be losing some of that investment income um, that helps make them profitable. So again, um, just the added um, added area where it'll increase rates to help or allow uh, insurance carriers to uh, become profitable. Yeah. Well, thank you, Doug. Um, the next subject matter we're going to dive into is how can carriers specifically reduce their insurance premiums by being safer? And I'd like Doug to talk a little bit about the Carter fleet right now, what type of insurance program they're in, and what are they doing to help mitigate and reduce losses within the within the company? That's so Carter specifically, we have a uh, a large self insured retention or or a large deductible in a way. So that's one way you uh, reduce costs. There is you take on more of that risk yourself as a company. Um, so we do have a large retention. In addition to that, we're investing in technology. We see technology as the future of safety in this industry. So um, that's where we're putting a focus on and improving our, our driving behavior and the safety of the fleet. So we've invested in technology in the trucks. So every new truck we purchase, it has all the latest technology, whether that's lane departure, um, advanced accident mitigation technology, um, and, and other factors there. In addition to that, we have installed cameras into the entire fleet. Um, they are forward-facing and driver-facing cameras. It allows us to get a visual of our drivers, allows us to coach our drivers, um, improve the safety behavior and safety of the fleet in that way, but also exonerates us. There's a lot of fraudulent activity uh, going on in, in, in the industry now with the lawsuits. Um, that could be its own podcast alone, but uh, when you have video, you have a clear picture of what happened. Um, so you, you don't get stuck in some of those fraudulent cases that you would have been stuck in, in, in historically. We've also purchased a driver simulator, uh, another expensive piece of technology that allows us to train our new drivers, allows us to put them into situations such as uh, winter weather driving, icy road conditions, that it's really difficult to get them trained on that in person today. This simulator allows us to put them in specific situations uh, to give them some of that training. So that's where we're going um, to reduce our exposure out and, and do, reduce our premiums create a safer fleet is invest in technology um, at our company. Yeah, let me ask you this. Um, do insurance companies uh, give you credit on your insurance premiums when you're making this investment? Or can you talk through that issue a little bit? So uh, I wouldn't necessarily say they give you credit, but they do look at that. Um, they want to see that with carriers. They want to see that proactive nature. They want to see them investing money in safety. So that helps with their ability to underwrite you and, and want to underwrite you. So there might not be a direct uh, reduction in cost, but it will help your chances of getting lower rate and having more carriers interesting, interested in underwriting you. Um, in turn, what happens is if you're utilizing these programs efficiently and correctly, you will see a reduction in hopefully accidents, um, which will in turn reduce premiums in the future. Okay, okay. Uh, the effect on the drivers, uh, the cameras, Obviously, the initial thought is the invasion of privacy of the drivers. Drivers are a little bit reluctant of it. I think companies have kind of grappled with this issue and trying to decide if they should invest in that technology or not. Can you talk a little bit about how Carter rolled out its driver camera program? Absolutely. Um, and, and that kind of that issue of privacy, that fear of privacy invasion is real. It exists. Um, 
among our fleet and probably all fleets. So it's something you have to take seriously if you're looking into cameras. Ultimately, we thought that driver-facing cameras would provide a great benefit to um, the safety of our fleet. And what we did, and what I would say as advice to other companies looking at cameras, is communication is key. You want to start communicating this program, uh, maybe a trial of the program as far in advance as you can. Um, because a lot of this for the drivers is the fear of the unknown. What does it mean? Uh, what is it, uh, what's included in this? So the more you can talk about it with the drivers, understand their fears, talk to them on a one-on-one -on -one basis at safety meetings, um, it really helped us over time because we were able to kind of talk through some of those concerns and fears. And and as we have now are now installing the, the, the last cameras in our fleet, we've lost only a less than 1% of our drivers due to the, the, the camera concerns. But we were able to talk through a lot of these issues with drivers. But um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't plan to do that weeks before installing. I would plan to do that months before planning to install cameras. Okay. Uh, thanks, Beth. We're gonna we're gonna jump to the third subject today, and that is really the effect of these nuclear verdicts on shippers. Uh, Doug, what kind of insurance limits uh, do the Carter's customers? And let me explain. Carter's customers is principally automotive customers, either uh, OEMs or tier ones to the industry. What typically are their requirements as far as insurance? Well, what we see with the OEMs is usually they are requiring a higher insurance limit versus the tier ones. The tier ones, uh, more commonly, you see uh, closer to the minimum of insurance requirements in those cases. With the nuclear verdicts out there, uh, obviously with the gap between what the carriers have and what's required and what the verdicts are, any advice that you would give to the shipping community out there? Yes, I would, I would tell them, do not lower your standards. Um, uh, do what you can to avoid lowering your standards. So at times like these, um, sometimes you might have carriers going with insurance companies who are B-rated or RRGs. And what we've seen lately is some of these companies go bankrupt. Um, so so in, in turn, they'll go to the next uh, person with, with, with a deep pocket. So that's when shippers and, and other related companies can kind of be brought into lawsuits. Um, and there's other situations that can be brought into as well, but you want to have enough insurance limit with a reputable insurance company to protect yourself from being brought into these suits, especially when you're seeing these larger nuclear verdicts. Um, um, it'll just waste your, your employees' valuable time and also uh, create some defense costs potentially for the fleet shippers. Okay. Um, yeah, the one thing that... Um, I've talked to some shippers out there. They're looking at reducing costs, and these are tier ones, by kind of bringing bringing in their own TMS system and managing their carriers directly. Any words of advice for these shippers? So in a way, they're kind of entering that brokerage world, um, and I would just caution them to uh, look into it. it. It could very well be initial um, cost reduction for those tier ones, but ultimately, you're, you're adding some exposure to your business as well. So, so brokers and when you're hiring carriers, you're responsible for, for different items. And one is to ensure that those carriers are safe um, and continue to stay safe as you use them. So as there's negligent entrustment in the brokerage world, and that's how the broker can kind of come into lawsuits is that they assign a carrier uh, who is clearly unsafe, had unsafe uh, CSA scores and unsafe uh, safety record as well. So that 
puts a little added exposure on those companies to do that due diligence and continually monitor that. So I'd say um, make sure you're aware of that and you have those those um, kind of procedures set up. Okay. As the listeners may or may not know, Carter runs a lot of Mexico miles. Those Mexico miles are run by partner carriers down there, in most part moving Carter trailers into and out of Mexico and also intramex on intra-Mexico shipments. Uh, the whole liability marketplace is different down in uh, Mexico, Doug. Can you tell us a little bit about the auto liability market in Mexico and why it's different than the U.S.? Yeah, the, the Mexico insurance market is, is just a completely different environment, and you want to fully understand that when you're doing business in Mexico. Uh, in Mexico, trucking companies are not the first line of defense. It's actually the driver in most cases. And in most cases, the driver does not have coverage. So the carrier can be brought into a suit uh, when they're clearly at fault or maybe grossly negligent in a way. And some examples of that are maybe the maintenance of the vehicle, that, you know, a drug test program is not in place and it's required to be in place, or they're uh, dispatching drivers uh, over the hour, over hours of service regulations and whatnot down in Mexico, and then they're doing that on a repeated basis. So those are usually the only times the carrier gets brought into it. And it's, it's also very rare that a broker gets involved in a lawsuit. So you have to understand that the first line of defense is the driver. In a lot of cases, there's not much coverage there to recoup any losses from that driver. Okay. Cargo laws are different also in Mexico, are they not, Doug? They are. Uh, they're very different. Um, in Mexico, uh, cargo losses are limited to a restriction of 15 days of minimum daily wage in Mexico City, which I believe is $4.18 currently. Uh, times the number of tons lost in that accident. So if you do the math on that, you're looking at, you know, between a thousand and two thousand dollars sometimes on, on the maximum allowed recovery and cargo losses. And I know our customers have a lot higher value than that when we're shipping in Mexico. Um, so that's something to definitely be, um, be aware of when doing business there. So to, for the shipper side, to cover their cargo loss exposure down there, what do you recommend? So most of our customers are aware of this. Um, we have seen some who come in initially and aren't, but they, they learn quickly and change. What we're seeing is our customers have their own policies to cover uh, that cargo exposure in Mexico. It might be some type of ocean cargo or inland marine policy, but that covers their freight anywhere in the world, especially in those parts of the world where they have strict uh, liability laws as Mexico does regarding cargo. Okay, okay. I guess the last item for Mexico, just for the listeners, is the uh, environment down there and the theft that goes on as far as trailers. Could you talk a little bit about um, why theft has risen so much in the last three, four years down in Mexico from your perspective? Absolutely. Uh, what we're seeing are a couple different factors that are, um, helping with that rise in theft. And, and the first one, it, it tends to be an easy target as the penalty systems seem to encourage theft in a way in Mexico. And when I say that, I mean that, here's one example. Um, in Mexico, stolen tractors by gunpoint are not treated as a felony. And, and those, those folks who are doing that are out on the streets again soon after that. And um, what, what, what we're seeing is that there's really a high reward there for criminals in Mexico to attempt these type of thefts and not a whole lot of punishment to uh, counter their interest in that. So 
the government does not want to make these type of, uh, uh, of, of attempts a felony because they ultimately have to record that, publish that, and they believe that might impact tourism. So that's why we're seeing them keep these at lower level offenses and not at that felony level. So I think that's a big impact or, or is a big player in, in the increase in thefts over the last few years. Okay. Uh, besides cargo insurance, uh, which which covers theft also, what else can shippers do to protect their properties? Well, I can tell you what we're doing as a broker. And um, what we're doing is we have changed our routes to run during daylight. Um, and, and kind of that's uh, a little straightforward is the criminals are less likely to attempt theft in daylight versus nighttime. And another another area where we have uh, increased our safety measures down in Mexico is that we have partnered with proactive carriers, which have GPS systems and monitoring systems so that they can immediately be notified when a truck goes off route and then proactively react to those situations. So those are two areas that we have uh, put in and measures to uh, reduce the theft chances. Okay. All right. Well, the last subject matter we're going to talk about today has to do with autonomous trucks. Every time I'm out to a customer, it seems like I get the question, when is autonomous trucks going to hit the road? Uh, when is platooning going to be put in place? When are we going to actually have these driverless vehicles? And what I'd like to do today is ask Doug a few questions about the regulatory environment. Regulatory environment really is that environment that's out there that would direct any type of lawsuits if there are any out there or accidents. And so, Doug, could you tell us a little bit about the regulatory environment and how far along autonomous vehicles are and what do you think might prevent autonomous vehicles to be here in the next two to three years? So one of the biggest issues I see is uh, if there's an accident, who picks the liability of that loss up? Um, and again, that goes back to kind of the regulatory side of things. If that truck's fully autonomous, then is it the manufacturer or is it the carrier who is dispatching that autonomous truck? Um, there's a lot of different hurdles that have to be passed through regulatory action. I believe now currently we're about 10th in the world as far as readiness for regu regulatory issues. And then infrastructure-wise, we're seventh. So I see us as being that kind of second-tier list of countries who will uh, proceed with this. Um, and there's countries such as Mexico who are probably in that third tier who have a lot more hurdles that they face before this can get implemented. So uh, it, it's hard to put a, 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 a true number on when this will occur. I think technology might advance quicker than the regulatory side of things. Um, right now in, in, in automobiles and in trucks, you're seeing the building blocks of auton autonomous technology, whether it's lane departure or the accident mitigation technology that applies the brakes as it reads metal objects stopped in the roadways. Those are the building blocks and they'll keep on adding to that over the years um, until they get to the point where it's considered you know, fully autonomous or, or to a degree close to that. Okay. Well, let's uh, wrap up today. I'm going to I'm going to summarize a little bit about what we talked about. First of all, in the insurance marketplace, uh, the nuclear verdicts are really affecting and shaking the marketplaces out there. Uh, carriers are getting uh, substantial increases in premiums because of these nuclear verdicts. Uh, the only way really to try to reduce this is for smaller carriers to take on higher exposure 
or even larger carriers that take on more of that liability. But also, probably more importantly, similar to what Carter is doing, is investing in technology. Uh, that technology will drive losses out of the system, and thus it will reduce insurance premiums in the future and also claims being paid under its deductible. Uh, so that kind of is what Doug had mentioned to us today about the marketplace. As far as the shippers are concerned, I think the shippers need to be cautious because I think what Doug was saying, they need to go forward with very with high caution because the verdict's coming back versus the insurance that carriers may have, there may be a large gap. And anytime there's a gap between verdicts and also the insurance limits, anybody and everybody can be pulled into these liability losses. So shippers really need to be aware of that, that they could be pulled in if they tender loads to underinsured um, trucking companies. As far as the Mexico marketplace, whole totally different marketplace as it pertains to insurance. Uh, just be aware of that and be aware of the cargo coverage uh, liability that uh, most shippers need to secure down there to properly insure their product. And finally, it, from Doug's point of view, the autonomous vehicles might be on the second wave uh, of countries being implemented here in the U.S. where we didn't really talk about it, but the Mexico marketplace is even further behind than the U.S. So um, Mexico probably will be the third or the fourth wave of countries being implemented. Yeah, thank you for your time today. I'm going to let Doug leave his email address here so that if there are any questions pertaining to, to this podcast, please submit them and we'll respond to the questions that you may have. Doug? Yeah, absolutely. My email is D-W-A-R-N-K-E at carter-express.com. And uh, I'll be happy to answer any questions related to this podcast or insurance or uh, any of the safety items that we talked about today. Thanks for listening to the Wheels in Motion podcast. If you have an idea for an upcoming podcast, please email us at marketing at carter-express.com. Until next time.